0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O holy and magnificent Lord, our souls cling to the dust. We pray, Lord, that you would breathe life into us through your Spirit, through your Word. When we are told our ways, that you would answer us, that you would teach us your promises and your statutes. Help us to understand the way of your precepts as we meditate on your wondrous works. As our souls melt away from sorrow, strengthen us according to your word. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Hear now the word Lord from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. It is God's holy, inerrant, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The author of Hebrews explains that the word of God is living and active Sharper than any two edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, the joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is such a true verse. Always true, as Scripture stands. But sometimes, as you read through Scriptures, some Scriptures seem like the sword goes a little bit deeper to divide the soul and spirit a little bit deeper into the joints and the mirror, a little bit deeper into the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Philippians chapter 2 is one, I think, of these sharp piercing scripture passages. One of those verses that you could meditate on merely a single line and never seek to be able to fulfill or accomplish them. The surgeon's scalpel that carefully cuts open the patient to be able to remove this cancer. Such a verse as this, to be able to open up the intentions and thoughts of our hearts, to be able to reveal not cancer, but sin, sin of pride, sin that lies within And maybe in this case, the surgeon's scalpel is not merely enough. The chainsaw, the two-edged sword is about right. Not merely just cutting into the heart, but amputating the great growth of sin within. And as we closed last time, Paul, at the end of chapter 1, left the Philippian church teaching them how they are to live as citizens of heaven. What then classifies someone to be a heavenly citizen? What would you say you move out of this and then that is unheavenly of you? That he taught three things to the church in Philippi. That they are to stand firm in one spirit. They are to strive side by side, suffering for the sake of Christ. And in that previous section of chapter 1 from verse 12 to verse 30, Paul has been showing and encouraging the church in Philippi from his own example, from his own imprisonment of suffering, how he is walking out these truths of being a heavenly citizen who has not yet arrived at that celestial city. He now begins to show more specifically how this congregation is to be able to live. Now, it's not to say those verses in chapter 1 do not have any application. Hopefully, we have shown that to the effect. But here, Paul is moving more specifically to them, how they are to live. These verses connect to what has gone before, but also frame the next section, laying the foundation of all these next verses. They lay the foundation of these next verses that... Before speaking of Christ's humility, he tells them that they need unity. That he gives the f- command first, as we'll see in verses 3 and 4, then the example of Christ. Verses 1 and 4 are really just one long sentence in the original language of Greek. And really, it's structured in a simple clause if this is true, then. This is how you must live. He begins with these five if statements. If these things are true, then this is how you must walk with six thens. But before we look at the ifs and thens, we also need to note that this really is a call for unity. Now the church in Philippi is a great example of what you might say an almost perfect church. But yet, there is a weakness that Paul is specifically writing this letter to. Is that in this church, there are two sisters in Christ who disagree on something. We're not specifically told what their disagreement is on. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, recorded by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we get these two sisters, Eutica... Euotica, and Syntyche. And these two are encouraged by Paul to be able to agree in the Lord. One commentator shows the connection between this whole section from 2 verse 2 where Paul encourages the church and says complete my joy that you may think the same thing. Paul concludes in 4 verse 2 by encouraging these two sisters to think The same thing, the same structure in Greek, in the Lord. There is some form of division in the church. Not diversity that Paul commends in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, but division, disagreement. And here Paul begins this section where Paul exhorts the church to unity. So with that introduction, let's look at these five if statements that Paul builds his argument upon in chapter 2. You see it pretty clearly, I think, in Greek, in in English, in chapter 1, verse 1, sorry. He then says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, you might then say, place another if, if any comfort from love, if any participation in the Spirit, if affection, and if sympathy. So here you have these five if statements that Paul then asks this rhetorical question, you might say. The Philippians, as they're hearing this, cry out with the answer, yes. Yes. Is there any yes? Is there any yes? 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 Now some commentaries believes that in the first three ifs, there is a Trinitarian connection. If there's any encouragement from Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. If there is any comfort from love of the Father, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. If any participation in the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. Now, it is true that Paul uses this quite frequently. The famous Pauline Trinitarian benediction in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 follows a very similar pattern. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That same word there, fellowship, is the same word there we is translated participation. Now, others have suggested the 2nd comfort there of love is it might be the comfort from Christ's love or Paul's love or the love for the church the congregation's love for one another now i think there's a strong connection to the trinitarian uh, understanding of the first three however the focus is not merely on the the individual statements that here paul is saying but together they have an accumulative effect in all of these things. If one of these things is true, then you should live a certain lifestyle. If five of these things are true, that then bolsters his argument of how we are then to live in verses 3 and 4. One commentator used this great illustration. If I say to my child, did I buy your clothes? The child would answer yes. Did I wash your clothes? The child would then respond with yes. Did I dry your clothes? Yes. Yeah. Then it should not be too much to ask for you to fold your clothes. The argument there is accumulative. The, the argument is building up. If one of those things is true, then the response should be the same. Yet, in the, the building of each if statement shows and bolsters that argument. And Paul begins showing the unity by starts, and starts by not what makes us different, but the things that bring us together. To find a list of differences is a never-ending list. However, to be able to summarize what you do that brings you together is probably more difficult, but more important when the fundamentalists were having their feud with those who were teaching a different type of gospel in liberalism, they came down to five truths that said, here is what we believe. To be able to look at all the differences, to be able to summarize, here's the five main things that we are arguing for is quite a different thing. What binds us together in unity? This has been how the church has handled many things throughout her history. When disagreements come up, she always returns and says, This is what is inside orthodoxy. Outside of these lines is unorthodox. This is where we draw the line, where we say, as J. Gresham Machen did, this is no longer Christianity, this is a whole new type of religion. We have the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Later we have our tradition of the Westminster Confession and their standards. They're made to be able to unite. This is where we stand. These are the lines that we draw in the sand. These are the boundaries. We say as a church, this is our sense. These are our views. This is what unites us. And Paul specifically focuses on unity in Christ as an encouragement for believers. Comfort that God loves his people. The seal and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But also our affection for God and his people, our sympathy for God and his people. When we start to see differences, we do not merely sweep them under the rug, but we need to start with understanding where we are unified. Christ's union with his people. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there is no divisions among you but that you being unified in the same mind and the same judgment. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, finally all of you. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. The call, what unites the church together is their love for Christ, and which then flows with their love to others. No divisions, he says in 1 Corinthians. To have the same mind, same judgment. Well, what unites us together? It's our union to Christ, our foundation of the word. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, the Lord. We don't have multiple foundations in which we build. We have one, Jesus Christ. But not merely is the if statement of our union to Christ, but also the comfort from God's love. When we start to see division, Not only can we focus on Christ and our union to him, but also we can focus on God's love. Now, when we think about God's love, when we see the person whom we have a disagreement in front of us, and we consider how much God loved them, then we start to shift how we interact with that person. That a disagreement should never cause us to hate a person, because God loves that person. And often is the case, what we need to do is repent for our attitude for viewing a brother or sister as an enemy. More than just Christ's encouragement and the Father's love, but also the fellowship of the Spirit. That we are adopted into the same family through the work of the same Spirit. That we both have the sign and seal of the Spirit upon us. That here when we see not merely that Christ died for them, that God loved them, but they also have the Spirit within them. We might see disagreements in many different spheres, but once we start to see these things that bind us together, then we start to understand that. Not only those three things, our Christ's encouragement, the Father's love, fellowship of the Spirit, but also our affections. This really speaks of the bowels, the heart of someone having tender mercy. Paul uses this word in in Philippians chapter 1, For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all affection of Christ Jesus. That here Paul yearns with this affection the innermost parts of his heart for this church. That he sees a connection, although miles apart. That we have affection for one another. Once we start to see what divides us, often it is our insides, our, our hearts that needs a change. That we see our hearts joined together. And lastly, the fifth if of, of sympathy. To be able to have mercy and compassion might be another way to be able to translate this word. When we see what divides us, to be able to see see the mercy and compassion, again, focusing not on the other person, focusing not on ourselves, but focusing on how God has shown us mercy and compassion. And thus, when we see a brother or sister in which we have a disagreement, to be able to see how God relates to us, then we are able to see how we are to show mercy and compassion. God's affections for us, God's sympathy or mercy and compassion for us. Paul, again in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he opens the letter To the church in Corinth by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Again, the focus is on what God has done and accomplished for us. When we start to see those disagreements and division, we need to be able to handle them. But often when they become the focus, we lose what divides us, what, what will tear us apart. But when we start with these five ifs, when we even were to think about one of these individually, we shall be convicted of how we see a brother or sister in disagreement. But when we see them all together, accumulatively. Now I pray when we do this, we are moved to the heart to be able to see God's encouragement, his love, fellowship, affection, and sympathy. For ourselves, but also our brother and sister in whom we have this disagreement. Now, if these five things are true, which Paul's argument is saying they are true. Yes, 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 as the Philippians answered each of those questions. Do we have any of these things? Yes, we have all of those things. We have encouragement from Christ. We have love from God. We have participation from the Spirit. We have affection and sympathy. What are we then to do? Paul then writes specifically to this church in Philippi and says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Don't focus on the disagreements, have the same mind. The church in Philippi will complete Paul's joy by being of the same mind, being unified together. Think of what unites us together as brothers and sisters rather than what divides us. Now if it comes to the point where there needs to be a parting, let it be clear what the parting is over. Do not let it be over small things. Small, petty things. Often, in my experience in ministry, this has been the case. Many people do not leave a church and say, I just came to a different conclusion. That we are not united. Those those confessions that you say, these boundaries that you place, I'm outside of that. Many times, they're over small things that, in the scheme of things, in a heavenly mind, are insignificant. In the end of the day, many times people put themselves over the brother or sister. They put themselves first. And Paul, as he sits in this prison, he hopes that they're able to hear this call, this appeal for unity of mind in the church in Philippi. Now again, we do not then get to define what this means. To be able to have the same mind. We don't all get to go into a room and say, what do you think it should be? What would you like on this list? Paul explains this to us. He then gives us six things in this passage. What he means by having the same mind to us in Christ. He explains in verse 5 quite clearly. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul sees this lack and weaknesses in this church, and he prays that even more reason to be able to rejoice over this hurdle that this church is facing, that it would bring him more joy to be able to have them of the same mind. So this is the basis of the five ifs. What then does it mean to be able to have the same mind in Christ Jesus? What does Paul then tell the church to be able to do? The argument of the five ifs then passes on to the six thens. The first of the thens is to be able to have the same love. Because of the unity found in the five ifs, Paul then begins with love. The mindset that is based on love. As God loved us, we love others. Again, a challenging command. He doesn't not then say, as God loved us, let us then get along. Let us then put up with one another. The command is that we are then to love one another. Jesus tells his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Not as the best example that they had in human history, but as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Then, a couple of verses later, says in chapter 15, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, we do not get to choose whom we have to love. We love because Christ loved us. We love the ones in whom Christ has loved from all eternity. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 he chose us from the, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before you in love he predestined us for adoption for himself as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will loving the, unlovey, lovely, loving the lovely is easy everyone does that you love someone when you get something that's easy but loving the unlovely is the call of the Christian. Loving the person who is mean, rude, self-centered, arrogant, proudful, boastful. That is the challenge of the Christian. More than that, not only are we called to love one another, but Paul in Romans chapter 12 says that love is some form of competition. Love one another, he says, with brotherly affic- affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Sadly, I think, to this is such a true statement, the Christians are often marked not for their love for one another, but their disagreement with one another. I'm realistic, I'm not then saying we have no denominations as mentioned before. I think unity comes from having clear sets of boundaries by saying this is what we believe, this is what we hold to. However, how do we show each other this love? How much do we do? For those brothers and sisters. Particularly brothers and sisters we might disagree with. Even if we still are the greatest church in this earth to be able to show love to one another. Which I think we do tremendously. We still have a long way to go. Because it's not merely that we love one another as other Christ, other churches love one another. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. The second, then, has been in full accord. This is the only time this word appears in the Bible: one soul, one spirit. It paints this picture for us of this glorious harmony that when united, there is such beauty that each united in spirit show their diversity from the spirit. With gifts is such a beautiful thing that the church is like this glorious orchestra that once everyone plays their parts, there fills a whole auditorium with sounds beautiful in unity, been in full accord with one another. The third then is being of one mind. As we see division creep in, when we set our minds on different things, this is exactly what Jesus rebuked Peter for in Matthew chapter 16. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's what happens when a church comes together and each person seeks to be able to set their minds on the things of man rather on the things of God. What unifies them, but what divides them. Paul will write later in the letter to the church in Philippi that their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. The glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Hear this. This unity of one mind, setting their things on this one mind, again, is this glorious image of a harmony. The same Greek word is used in another passage. In Romans chapter 12, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Or Romans chapter 15. Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That here the same mind is, is unity. The fourth then is doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now if you haven't felt it already, you can see how We need to be reminded of those five ifs. That this one is given in the negative. The Christian should have the same mind and heart. But they should also avoid a heart of motives. To not do things out of selfish ambition or conceit. This is exactly what Paul rebuked the false teachers in the first chapter. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment or to be able to drive to conceit. The King James Version, I think, gives it more plainly. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Now this shows the difficult task of the believer the truth needed through the fellowship of the Spirit. That these two things are motives and not motions. Two actions can be done, the exact same action. However, one can be done with selfish ambition or conceit or vainglory. Now, I'm sure As Epaphroditus read this to the church in Philippi, it was like a dagger in the heart, as it should be for us. Do we merely have the appearance of loving each other? Do we do it that others might see us, others might hear about it? Do we love only when it is seen by others? Do we do things to puff ourselves up? If we're honest, we have to say at some points this has to be true. Again, the truth needs to be reminded that many churches will split because of sinful hearts. What James says in James chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not your passions at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you know that the fellowship with the world is enmity to God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. The fifth, then, is counting others more significant than yourself. Now, as this list continues, we cannot forget the five ifs. We cannot forget the argument in which Paul founded this all upon. We get overwhelmed with these lists of things. We fall short time and time again but yet we find encouragement from Christ, we find comfort from God, we find participation from the Spirit, we find affection, we find sympathy as we look to God. The the truth is that Paul states in in verse 6 of chapter 1 that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or as we'll look in verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The truth of the matter is that when we see this, we are a work in progress. And here Paul is saying, here are some things for you to work on during your progress. And here the fifth one, Paul then says that if these things are true, which they are, then you should count others more significant than yourselves. This is nothing new. Another way to say it is this is the second greatest commandment, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But Paul shows how this commandment is applied for the life of a believer. Not merely that Christian love is found in the other person to be able to find them equal to themselves, but you are to love the other person greater than yourself. But also the opposite is not true. It's not that we think less of ourselves, sitting in our sorrows with tears and self-deprecating ourselves. But we start to think of others more highly. Again, what a challenging verse. The call of a Christian is to love others with humility as Christ has loved us. when we start to think of all our aspects of our lives, we start to see how much help we really need and how much we really need to grow. Husbands, do you count yourself? Do you count your wife more significant than yourself? Wives, do you count your husband more significant than yourselves? Colleagues, Bosses, friends, parents, children, children, parents, elders to the congregation, deacons to the congregation, congregation to others. Do we all think of others more significant than ourselves? J.C. Ryle says that humility is the very first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. Humility is the very first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. But unlike the alphabet, in which we can master, we can know the letter A, a Christian cannot master humility in this life. And if that wasn't enough, Paul then finishes with the sixth then, looking not to only one's own interests, but also to the interests of others. Lastly, the sixth then, is that we not look to one's interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, what a verse to ponder. When we think of the gospel, when we think of what Christ has done for his people, as Paul will explain, as we'll see in the following verses. But here, is that we are to look to the interests of others. Not merely just thinking of them more, but seeking to understand what might benefit them, and not only ourselves. Now here, Paul explains that Not at the expense of our own interests, that it's not merely that we lay all things aside for ourselves, as he explains in 1 Timothy, that if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. However, we do constantly need to be checking our hearts and ourselves. Again, are we doing this for our own interest? Or is it for others? Again, what a two-edged sword it is for us. The challenge to be able to live as a true Christian in unity. But we need to be reminded that this is all built upon those five ifs of the, state, the start. That they are true. That we do have encouragement from christ we do have comfort in love we do have the fellowship participation of the spirit we do have the affection and sympathy that these things are true and therefore these things are doable because we have these five things what a great and glorious truth however challenging it is that we are encouraged by christ We are comforted in love. We have the participation of the Spirit. We have affection. We have sympathy. What a great joy that is as we walk living as these heavenly citizens. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that we do indeed have encouragement in Christ, that we do indeed have comfort from love, that we do indeed have fellowship from the Holy Spirit, We do indeed have affection and sympathy. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. Help us as we walk as a church, as individuals, as believers, that we might have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to do this, Lord, for we need your help. We pray in Christ Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook